Yes. He is so good. It is really a privilege to be able to, uh, to share God's Word. You know, God is so good to us, and His love is so amazing. And, uh, you know, this season is really a time where we get to, to kind of focus on that a little bit more than normal. And, and it, you know, it can be such a battle because what a great time it is for us to, you know, to really be able to appreciate, you know, one, what we have as we, you know, spend a day of Thanksgiving and then as we move into the Christmas season and, the, you know, our Savior is coming into this world. And last week we talked about that a little bit, you know, we, um, we talked about this, this time between the middle of November to maybe the second week of January and all of the stuff that goes on during that time period and the opportunity to use that time to be something that really can be um, a time that we can learn to appreciate, you know, how good God is and just the things that God has done in our lives and then to appreciate the coming Savior and the significance of that. And even to spend time as we go into 2016 with the opportunity to kind of hit reset and think, you know, how can 2016 be a little bit different than 2017 or 2015? One of those days, years. Just seeing if you're listening. Thank you. I noticed that there's a few people listening. It's always good. Get that sense early in the message so I know whether to cut it short or just keep going. Um, so we talked about, you know, the attack that comes upon us during this time period and, and the strategy of the enemy as, as they try to um, come against what God wants to do. And there's really two-pronged attack that we talked about last week, right? We talked about the fact that the enemy wants to um, get us to believe that we can't trust God. And the, and the second thing is, is that we would be like God. And so those were the two things we talked about as as, as Eve, Adam, and Eve were given dominion over all the earth, and we kind of went through the first three chapters and where God says, hey, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to let you eat of all this stuff. You have access and dominion over all the animals, all the fish of the sea, all the birds of the air. All of that is yours. And then we see in chapter 2, he says, you know, this garden, you can eat of any of the fruit in the garden, anything except for that one tree. Can't eat that tree. And, and so often for us, isn't it, where we can have access to anything, but if there is something we can't have, have you ever gone up to that, to that sign that says wet paint? Huh? You did. I know you guys do. And you touch it, right? You, you got it. Yep, it's wet. You know, if something says don't touch, what do we have to do? Touch it. Yeah, you have to touch it. It's just, it's just how it is. And so we see that um, Eve... We had a conversation with a serpent, right? And the serpent said, surely you won't die. You can't trust God. I mean, really, you're not going to die. Because he knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him. He's trying to keep you from having a life that really is significant. So we talked about that. And we looked at how Eve bought the lie, right? We talked about the fact that she listened to the enemy and she ate the fruit. And the results of that is what happens so often to us when we do something that we know um, is, is not what God wants us to do. They, they hid themselves from God. Don't we do that so often when we do something? We go, man, I don't want anybody to find out. Gosh, if people found out, you know, they would think less of me. They would not want to be my friend. They wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. And so we just, we just hide ourselves. 
And so God came and they're hiding. And then the second thing that happens so often when we do things that we don't is God says, so um, did you guys eat that fruit? Because they said, well, we found it. We, we realized we're naked and we hid ourselves. And God goes, how'd you know you were naked? Did you eat the fruit? And then the second thing that we do all the time, right, is the blame game. You know, Adam goes, well, that woman you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. So if you never would have created her, we'd have been all in good shape. It's your fault, God. And then, of course, Eve goes, well, the serpent, he came and he tempted me and I ate. And so we blame. Don't we often do that? We just want to point our fingers and it's got to be somebody else's fault, right? Somebody has to be blamed for this. So we see them doing that. They play the blame game. They hide themselves. And so that this attack that we fall under, and, and we're talking about the, the context of tis the season. And so here's the season where God has given us so much. And we have so much to be thankful for. Get into the season of the, the birth of our Savior. What an incredible time. And yet it can be, rather than a time of joy and fulfillment and significance, it becomes a time of tension and frustration and anxiety. Then why is that? Because we listen to that voice. It says, it's not, this isn't what it's really all about. This is what it's all about. So this morning I want to talk about, so what do we do about that? We're going to be in, in Matthew 4. And I want to look at a different situation where the enemy came and tempted somebody and the results were different. So in Matthew 4, we see um, Jesus, and at the end of, um, of Matthew 3, Jesus was baptized. And it says in, in the end of that chapter that as he came out of the water, it says, Behold, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that a great experience? Jesus comes out of the water. And, and a dove descends, and a voice comes and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that an awesome experience? That's how a relation with God should be, right? So then what's the next step? The next thing starting in, in chapter 4 is it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, that's what happens when we have a relationship with God that's a right relationship with God, right? The Spirit leads us. We're Spirit-led. What an exciting thing. So I want you to understand this. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus was in God's will. Jesus was doing what God was asking him to do. Are you guys with me? So what did God want him to do? Go into the wilderness and be tempted by the devil. Are you kidding me? When, when I think about God's will, and I, and I think, you know, I know I'm in God's will when life is really good. Isn't that, isn't that right? I can tell I'm in God's will when things are smooth, when things are easy, when I'm comfortable. I mean, that's when I know I'm in God's will, when things are just going perfectly, when things at work are going smoothly, when things at home are going smoothly, the car never breaks down, nothing leaks in the house, my neighbors are perfect, the lawn stops growing. I mean, that's when I know that I'm in God's will. And yet, this says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does that make sense? And then it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. 
So not only was he in the wilderness, he was starving to death. This sounds like a great plan, God. So I'm baptized. The first thing you want me to do is go out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights with no food. Just animals, cold. And that's where he was. And he became hungry. And I haven't really tried it. I mean, I've gone five days without eating, and I thought I was a hero. I don't know about 40. But my understanding is, is that the first, and I probably should do 40 because I already did the hardest part. The first three to five days, from what I understand, is the most difficult because that's when you're the most hungry, you have all the hunger pangs and everything. And then after you get through day five or so, you just stop being so hungry until it gets life-threatening. Then when it gets to be the life-threatening point, then you start getting hungry again. And your body starts telling you, eat or die. You have a choice. And so Jesus was at the point, after 40 days and 40 nights, where his body was saying, hey, it's time for you to do something. And at that point, when he became hungry, it says the tempter came to him and said to him. And so often that's, that's where the enemy comes, to those points where we're the weakest, where we have a, a tendency to give in the easiest. He knows what our soft, our soft points are. And he said, you know, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So what's the strategy again that he uses? If you're really the son of God, did he say you were the son of God? I mean, really, do you believe that, that, that that's true? Because if you were really the son of God, would you be out here in the middle of nowhere with no food or nothing to eat? So why don't you just be God and just change this stuff into bread and take care of things? Again, it's the same situation, the same strategy. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now here's our strategy. Here's our power. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. When the enemy came to Jesus, Jesus responded, it is written, there is a reason. And if we use that strategy, we'll find ourselves more strongly moving forward in what God wants us to do. And then the devil took him into the holy city, verse 5, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, again, if you're really God, then, then prove it. Throw yourself down, for it is written. And now Satan goes, well, if you want to use scripture, let's use scripture. So let's just talk scripture. And he says, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan now quotes scripture. He actually quotes uh, Psalm 91, 11, and 12. And, and what, that, what that passage says, and we won't turn to it, I'll just read it. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So basically, the psalmist is saying that um, he's going to give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all the things that I'm leading you into. He's not saying he will, they will guard you so you can try and see you know, if God's really for real. So if you really want to trust God, why don't you just go lay out on the 210 freeway and if God, God is really guard, he's, God is going to guard you, right? And he's going to protect you. I mean, he's going to just take you to heaven is what he's going to do if you, if you want to give it a try. So he misquotes scripture, but Jesus, understanding that passage, said, on the other hand, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So again, Jesus quotes Scripture again out of Deuteronomy. And then verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and now he says, you know what, we're just going to pull out all the stops. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So listen, Jesus, here's the deal. Why go through all this stuff? Why go through the cross? Why go through all the stuff that you're going to have to go through? Just worship me now and you can have everything. You don't have to go through it all. Just take the shortcut. Take the easy way out. And Jesus said to him, go. This is what we should say more often. Just get out of here. Go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And this is the cool part. Behold, angels came and began to minister to him. He had angel food cake, man. He didn't have to worry about the the loaves of bread. (laughs) Got some angel food cake. But Jesus responded to the enemy in a much different way than, than we saw Adam and Eve responding to the enemy. It's the same strategy, different results. So why were the results different? I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve had the entire garden to eat from. God told them that they would have dominion over all the earth. And yet they ate the, the fruit that was forbidden. Jesus, on the other hand, was in the wilderness with nothing to eat. He was starving to death. And he resisted. So it couldn't be the circumstances, right? They both knew what God said because Satan came to Eve and said, hey, did God say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees? And he says, no, that's not what he said. He said, I couldn't eat from that tree that I really want to eat from. (laughs) All the other ones that I don't really like, I could eat from, but that one is the one I can't eat from. And Satan quoted scripture to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, that's not quite right. And he corrected him. Yet Eve ate, and Jesus didn't. What was the difference? What was the difference between those two? Well, I think there's a couple things that, um, that, that we can look at when we think about this. And I think this is so important for us because as we move into this time, and this really is, is the season that God can use us to do some really amazing things in the lives of people. And if we understand the strategy and we can move through the strategy in a powerful way, God will really use us to light the world. So here's some stuff that I think Jesus, that, that, was, that was different between um, Adam and Eve and Jesus. One is that Jesus really believed God's word, and I don't think Adam and Eve did. I mean, they knew it. They, they knew it, but they didn't really believe it. It's a big difference, isn't it? I mean, isn't there so much that we know that we just, uh, just doesn't make sense? And that we just don't believe it deeply enough that we live it out. It's not worth it. Jesus knew that it was worth it. He, he not only knew that stuff, it wasn't just an intellectual knowledge that he had. It was an internalized part of his life, the Word of God. It was what he was all about. It was, it was what his purpose was all about. It's a big difference between just knowing something and kind of having that drive how we behave 
and internalizing something and having that drive who we become. And so Jesus was becoming the person that God wanted him to become. And the second thing I think that is just as powerful is Jesus really understood the big picture. I'm not sure that Adam and Eve really got the big picture. I'm not sure they understood this whole thing and that they were going to be given dominion of everything over to the enemy and all that stuff that was going on. Jesus knew the big picture. Jesus understood the big picture. And it makes a big difference when you know the big picture because then things aren't accidental. See, then things aren't being driven by what I see in the here and now. See, Satan wants me to see the temporary. Satan wants me to see the immediate. Satan wants me to make decisions based on my circumstances. God wants us to see the eternal. God wants to see our circumstances based on the eternal so that we make decisions in those circumstances understanding the big picture. See, when we do that, that's a big difference. Satan wants us just to look at this and see how messed this thing up. God wants us to look at this and say, look at what the plan is that this is going to be used to fulfill all the things I want to do. And let me show you how that happened because Jesus quoted Deuteronomy. And I think that, that, that wasn't an accident. Jesus was, was sending a clear message to the enemy that there's a bigger picture than what you're talking about, and I understand that picture. And when the enemy knows that we understand that God's got a bigger picture and we're in a bigger picture, he, he, there's nothing he can do with us. And when he understands that, we can say, hey, get out of here because I'm not interested. But when he can get us to focus on the small, immediate circumstance, he has us. Let's turn together to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's like the fourth one in. So start at the beginning, work your way to the right, and you should find it. Deuteronomy 8. We're going to kind of walk through this, and I want to just take pieces of it so that we can kind of see this whole big picture that Jesus was talking about when he's quoting Deuteronomy. Starting with verse 1, he says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go, into, uh, go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So again, God is, God is leading the people because um, there's, there's things that need to happen. The commandments that God is giving the people is a means to an end, not an end in itself. That's the key to having a relationship with Christ. A relationship Christ says, the things that God is calling me to do is a means to an end. A religion that has a bunch of rules, that, that the rules become an end in themselves. So he's saying, obey the commandments, but understand these commandments are a means to an end. It's not just don't eat the fruit because I don't want you to eat the fruit. It says don't eat the fruit because there's a purpose of what, will, what that all involves eternally. So the commandments that God gives us are there specifically, and they're there to prepare us. Because he says, um, he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. Exactly what Jesus said, right? But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of your Lord, uh, out of the mouth of, of the Lord. So again, the process of God loving us enough in the circumstances 
to equip us for the promised land is, is, is what God is doing. So when Jesus is responding, he goes, you, you don't get it, Satan, because I know that this circumstance is a process to take me to the promised land. This isn't an end in itself. This is a means to an end that God has taken me to. And when you understand that, it's a huge difference. There's one thing to know the rules. There's another thing to understand who our God is. Amen? And as we're going through this season, to understand the circumstances that we're in the middle of could be a means to an end that God is doing that's much bigger than that individual circumstance. And if we can get that concept, it's huge for us. And this is exciting because he goes, listen, you guys, get this. In verse 4, he's talking to the people. He says, your clothing didn't wear out on you, nor did your foot, your foot swell these 40 years. They're walking around in sandals for 40 years. I walk around in tennis shoes for 40 minutes, and my feet are gone. That's the exciting thing about what God is all about. I mean, you guys probably have experienced this. I've experienced it. Where, you know, God, God makes some changes in my life the last couple of years. God's made some pretty big changes career-wise, income-wise, and, and future-wise. I mean, I, I didn't plan on being an elder in this church. I just didn't think that's what God wanted. I came to this church. I liked the music. I liked Doug. And I thought this would be a good place to hang out till I retire, and then we're going to go move to someplace else and live happily ever after. And God changed that. Well, when God changes that, a lot of other things fall into place where you kind of go, well, how am I going to pay the bills? I was going to sell this. I can't afford this. I can't do this. And yet somehow God works it out. I mean, God opens doors where there's a possibility to make money. God stops things from breaking down. Stop, he stops things from leaking. I mean, there's a way when God calls, he provides. That's an exciting thing. And when, when that's the God that we have as we're going through this season, it's such a powerful thing for us to be able to take hold of and to trust him in the midst of it. In verse 5, he says, Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God is disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. You see, God is our parent. He does parenting. And so we're in these circumstances, and we know that we're in these circumstances, we can know that God is leading us through this, the circumstances that we're in the middle of. And then he goes on, he starts in verse 7, he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills. And then he goes on for the next three or four verses to talk about how awesome the promised land is. This is the, this, this, these are the passages that Jesus is quoting as Satan is trying to get Jesus to look at this individual circumstance and say, hey, if you just get out of this circumstance, you're going to be able to have it made. And, and Jesus is going, you don't get it, Satan, because I don't care about this circumstance. Because there's a bigger picture here that I see that is much bigger than the circumstance I'm in the middle of. This is an opportunity for God to do a work in me so that God can do the work through me. See, that's, that's the thing. See, see, Eve saw the tree and the fruit on the tree and ate the fruit and caused all kinds of problems. Jesus sees a tree, a tree he's going to hang on for you and me and cause all kinds of freedom. 
Eve sees the immediate and doesn't trust God and doesn't believe that God's good. Jesus sees the big picture and says, God, you're going to do a work that's unbelievable. It's going to be miserable. I'm going to hate it. I'm going to ask you for a plan B. I know there's a better, but I am going to obey you and and eternity is going to be changed. The enemy enemy could not stand to what Jesus was talking about when he looked at the big picture and what the big picture is all about. In fact, not only... Did, did God um, you know, show the preparation? Not only did God show the provision, not only did God show us some parenting, not only did God show us a promise, but God gave us a prediction. And, and this is something that, that's so typical of us as people. In verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness. He talks about all that God did. And he says, otherwise you may say in verse 17 in your heart, my power and strength or my hands made me this wealth. Don't we do that? Aren't we just so good at that? God, if you just get me out of this, I, just, I promise you, I will, I will just walk straight. I'll do anything you say to do. And I'll just, please, God, just get me out of this. And then he gets me out of it, and I go, man, look what I did. Man, I can't believe I got out of that. That was so smart. I, man, I'm, I, just, I came up with the perfect idea. I executed it perfectly. Yeah. We just do that. I mean, we fall to that temptation to become like God. But if we see the big picture, if we understand that God is leading us, that God is, is, is in charge, that God has a bigger picture than, than the immediate that we're focused in, it lets us go through time periods with hope. It lets us go through time periods with purpose and significance because it's not about the circumstance, it's about the God that's in the middle of those circumstances. That's the exciting thing because we focus on the circumstance, but if we can focus on the God of the circumstance, it's a big difference, isn't it? The circumstance becomes inconsequential because we know that there's a God that is doing a work in that circumstance that's much bigger than us. You go, well, that's, that's good. That's the Old Testament. That's the promised land. But, but you know what? That was for Israel, and, you know, what about us? How do we fight this battle? Because, you know, that's old news, Dave. Well, let's look at some new news, because the Apostle Paul understood that principle, and I think he paints a picture for us that's really an awesome picture when we look at our own little, our own promised land that God has promised. And this is the stuff, you know, God called Paul to a pretty amazing life. It was a life that he, um, you know, experienced some hardships, some difficulties, some, some struggles, but in the midst of it, God did an amazing thing. So if we turn to Ephesians 1, I just want to walk us through a few things to be able to see how this big picture gets painted in a New Testament context. This promised land that, that we get to, to, uh, to look forward to. In verse 3 of, of Ephesians 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You want a promised land? How about being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? How about having that hope of where I'm heading, that future that God has for me? That I know that my future holds a blessing of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in verse 4, in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So we're experiencing the heavenly blessings holy and blameless before him. What does the enemy want us to do when, when we sin? Hide. Blame. What does God want us to do? Be forgiven and come in his presence holy and blameless. Why? Because we worked harder? Because we were smarter? Because we had the plan? No, because the, the work that Jesus did on the tree to take care of the work that Eve did on the tree allows us to be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So not only are we holy and blameless, we get to be adopted into the family. I, I don't know if you guys get that. We get to be adopted into the family. So the blessings that we inherit, the blessings that he's talking about, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, we get to experience as children of God, adopted into his family. And it gets even better. Because it says, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So it's not because we worked hard at it, it's because Jesus paid the price for us. Because in verse 7 it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So our adoption isn't based on how hard we work at it, how pretty we look, how good looking we look. You know, when God comes and says, let me see, who do I want to adopt? He doesn't just look, oh, well, that's a strong guy. Well, that's a good looking person. Well, that guy. It's not about that. It's about the redemption of what God has done because of the price that Jesus paid to redeem us. That's good news. It's not about works. It's not about how hard I work. It's not about how good I am. It's about the fact that Jesus paid the price for me. That is good news, you guys. That's the good news of this season. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. It's not about presents. It's not about parties. It's not about all that stuff. It's about a Savior that came to redeem us. Amen. Amen. That takes the stress away. That takes the anxiety away. That takes all that stuff away. We can still do the stuff without experiencing the experience. Are you guys with me? I'm not saying don't, go to, don't have people over for Christmas. Don't cook a ham. Don't. I'm saying who you are in the midst of that is a big difference when you understand the purpose of what it's all about. And then he, then, um, he says... Um, in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, that big picture, according to his kind intention, what he purposed in them. So we're seeing the big picture with a view to an administrative administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. So we're getting the big picture. And then in him also, and this is cool, not only are we children, not only do we have the big picture, but it says in verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Not only do we get to be kids, but we get to be kids who inherit the inheritance. That would be like Bill Gates going, I'm going to adopt you, but you don't get any of my stuff. 
You can live with me, you can enjoy it, but you know my inheritance goes to my real kids. Jesus goes, hey, I'm adopting you, and the inheritance goes to you. That is good news. I was reading up some stuff on inheritance. This is a great story. There was a homeless man who was living on the streets of Santa Cruz de la Sierra in Bolivia. It says he fled the police who were bringing him news of a $6 million inheritance. It says Thomas Martinez, 67, apparently thought the police were about to arrest him for his alcohol and drug habits. The man disappeared without a trace, causing the Bolivian newspapers to speak of him in 2000 as a millionaire paradoxically not knowing his fortune. The inheritance came, from Mr., came to Mr. Martinez from his ex-wife, who inherited the money herself from family members. She evidently did not blame him from, for leaving her several years ago. The unlucky man was never found. <laughs> Six million dollars he had that he didn't know he had, and he's hiding from the police who wanted to come and give him the good news that he was now a multimillionaire. How many people are, are able to have the inheritance of all that God wants to give us and we're hiding because we think when God comes to us and gives us directions that he's trying to do harm to us rather than put us in a place where we get to experience the abundance of what he's all about. We look at our circumstances and say, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. I wouldn't be out in the wilderness. I wouldn't be starving to death. My job wouldn't be so messed up. My family wouldn't be so messed up. I wouldn't be feeling this way. I would be rich. I would be healthy. I would be wise. I would be all that kind of stuff. If God really loved me, if God was really true, all that stuff would be different. That is not what it's all about. You can trust God. God's plan for you is perfect. The big picture, you are inherited, as, adopted as children with the inheritance in his kingdom. Does the news get any better than that? So, so if, I, if Bill Gates came to me and said, look, you can have my inheritance. There's just a couple things I want you to do. Sell your house, get rid of your house, get rid of your clothes, get rid of your toys, get rid of everything, get rid of all your toys, I mean all your clothes. I want you to put on these rags and I want you to walk around in these rags for like the next year. And once you're done walking around in these rags for a year, I'm going to give you everything I have. Would you do that? Who in their right mind would not do that? Unless you thought Bill Gates was crazy and there was some scam, then you might question it. But if you knew it to be true, all of us would do that. What God says, you are sons of mine. You are daughters of mine. You have access to the inheritance. Just walk with me and trust me. And as we walk with him and we trust him, we can say, I, I don't understand the circumstance, but I know the big picture is a part of a plan from a loving, awesome, powerful, almighty God. And I know that's true because the son came and he died on a cross for me. And he said, I came not to judge the world, but that the world would have life. That's what we have. We're going through this season and the enemy wants us to get focused on things. I tell you, if I, was, if I was as bummed out because my neighbors aren't saved as I was because UCLA lost USC, I would be spiritually in a much different place. But I don't know why emotionally that is so important to me and this is not so important to me. If I was so concerned about family members that I have who are soiled in sin and don't know Jesus as I am about them spilling stuff on my couch, I would be much more passionate about what Jesus is all about, amen? 
If we are just as concerned about how our family sees the light of Jesus in us as we are about how the dinner turns out that we're inviting them to, that would be a much different story of how we behave when we're in the midst of that. Then that's the message God wants us to have. It's not don't do the stuff that you're doing. It's be who you need to be in Christ while you're doing that stuff. Then you can have joy. You can have peace. You can have purpose. You can have significance in the midst of the mass because you know that there's a bigger picture that God has a plan that's bigger than the circumstances and he's going to use you to be a light. He's going to use you for people to see Jesus and be eternally saved. Is there anything more powerful and significant than that? Why would that bum us out when we have an opportunity to experience that because God puts us in a situation where everybody else is going to be critical, negative, uh, and upset and we get to be joyful and, approve, and, awesome, and uh, affirming and purposeful? We just have to see it. We just have to see it. And when we do, this is where we get that truth. This is it. I mean, praise the Lord that we have somebody like Pastor Doug who comes and teaches this. He really doesn't care whether we like it or not. If it's true, he's going to share it. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to internalize this word of his so that we can walk through life being a light in a dark world. Having the things that are important to God become important to us. And when that happens, man, people see a radical difference in us as people of God. Amen? This can be a different season for us, you guys. Tis the season. It's coming, whether we like it or not. We're in a spiritual battle, whether we like it or not. Our choice is, do we, do we listen to the voice of God or do we listen to the voice of the enemy? Do we believe we can trust God? Do we believe that God is God and not us? Do we believe that we should let him be God and stop being God? When that happens, this becomes truly the season to be joyful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.